Hello to, to the world. You. I should say hello as well. <laughs> hello, Robin. Hello, Robin. Goedenavond. <laughs> Hi, Ben. Hi, Joachim. Hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Fancy seeing you here. <laughs> so I can, I can, oh no, I can do, I can touch LA. I can do this if my hand comes Oh, wow. Through. I was hoping it might go through. Yeah, yeah. No. Look. Oh, yeah. Tony, we should do a high five. Mm. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh no, wrong way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so very good. So this is how the Brady Bunch starts. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is the Brady. <laughs> Excellent. I can bust out some of my mime uh, moves. I've been, I've been learning mime during. No, I haven't actually. That's a lie. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, some friends are uh, dropping in to say hi. Robin is here. Hey, Robin. Um, people from the Discord server. Hello. Ah, friend Marcus. from Marcus. friend from New Zealand. Yeah. Empty vessel. Greg from yeah. New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. How's it going? Good day, mate. Chilly. <laughs> this is, we're so, going to spend our time staring at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? It's fine by me. Uh, I can only do one thing at a time, so I, I can't look at the comments. It's too confusing. Oh, yeah, hey, but, uh, it hey, Pablo. It is confusing. Um, so how is everyone doing, considering um, the state of the world and everything? What's happened? Did I miss something? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, thank you, Robin, for uh, sending me your uh, album oh. uh, and I sent. I really enjoyed the. Uh, thank you. Listening to it. Yeah, that, that happened actually. That happened recent, because right? of the pan yeah. That happened because yeah. of the pandemic. It comes out on not. So this isn't a sales plug, but it comes out this week. But in a sense, the record wouldn't have happened if it were not for the pandemic. In a sense, I was meant to be playing a show in Bristol at this thing called Machina Bristronica with some amazing artists and I was really excited and it got cancelled as did everybody's live shows and I thought why don't I just perform on the same day I was meant to be performing at the same time on that Saturday to more people because more people would see it online than they would you know come to the show itself and I sorted it out on YouTube managed to understand all the technicalities because you have to learn very quickly how these things work and then a guy called Ian, who runs a label called DIN, D-I-N, in the UK, heard it and thought it was a great live set and said, could you make something similar? And I had all the gear still set up in the studio for the live show. And I just literally recorded 90 minutes of music. And it became this very kind of live cinematic modular album. There's nothing else on there but a modular synth and a digitac and a little drum machine. And that's it. And I feel it came together quite well. You've heard it. You seem to enjoy it. So yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, Thank I you. thought. Yeah, you said it. It was done with mostly modular gear. This, mm. There are some sounds which in there which remind me of um, acoustic instruments or even mm. field recordings. Is that something? Yeah, I was using this uh, thing called Wave by Qubit Electronics, which is a sampler. Mm. So every now and then, I would randomly throw in recordings of voices, poetry readings. I have a, a recording of Chernobyl just after the terrible incident, I have a recording of all the landscape for about 30 minutes with rainfall and everything. And I just use those within the piece itself. And what I do is I don't know what's on those reels, so to speak. I have hundreds of samples in there and I just randomly press buttons and hope that whatever comes through nice. makes some kind of sense. <laughs> yeah. Like you used to do with uh, tuning. Um, uh, exactly. I think bands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Tony uh, kind of identifies with this as well, which is an idea that you, when you perform, and maybe Ben as well, but it's it's not always about the finished product. It's not always about setting things in squares and shapes and building the structure. It's it's dealing with the moment, 
Mm. It's dealing with that level of improvisation and the surprise element. And I think what always appealed to me about all this stuff, this modular stuff, is it's not the screen. And I can't always control it. I can set something up. I can return to it the next day. And it does something quite different. And in fact, sometimes the quite different can be an improvement on what it did before, you know. Electricity is a wonderful thing in some sense. You know, the, the, the voltages change, it seems, and settings change. I don't save things either. So when I finish, I pull all the cables out, out of these machines, and I don't save anything. So I can't repeat it. So it's a dangerous thing, but it's about the moment, really. It's, 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 a, it's a method that, where you can allow the magic to, to manifest itself more easily somehow mm. with, with this uh, kind of, uh, yeah, it's just have, injecting more chaos into it, isn't it? Mm. And also because you, you can't anticipate. You can't anticipate the next moment, in a sense. Surprises can happen. And so when I, I mean, there's a video of me performing online on my YouTube channel in March, I don't know what's happening after the last, after the first three minutes. I have no idea where it's going. And it ends up in this kind of rhythmic, like it's like a rock rolling down the hill and it picks up all the moss and grass and everything as it reaches the bottom. And this thing builds and builds in tension. That's what I love about it. Mm. How do you feel, this is a sort of a general question to everyone, I guess, but how do you feel about uh, mistakes or correcting them or, you know, making something perfect or going back and editing and working, or is it, is it really, is that just part of it? I like mistakes. If I can speak first there, I like sometimes, I mean, what I used to always do with records, I do it every now and then now, but what I used to always do was when I finished a record and I'd cleaned everything up and it was kind of finished, I'd then put a mic out of the window. And so in the final mix that goes to Dat, which was the master at the time, there'd always be this element of surprise and chaos and what one might call a mistake because you never knew what it was going to be. And all I would do was ride the channel and see what mm. was there. But I think, you know, mistakes can teach you a lot as well, you know, not only with music, but in life. You know, we learn through mistakes and it depends the kind of work you're doing. If you're doing commercial work, you're doing a work for a film or television or a dance company or theatre you have to tidy things up. You have to clear out some of the mistakes, but in other situations, it's beautiful, I find. It depends yeah. on what you call a mistake, even. Mm. Um, you can purposely do things that uh, cause mistakes and then uh, kind of ride the wave of uh, whatever is happening. Um, I have a bunch of um, things that I sometimes do to uh, purposely cause something to go wrong or go in in a in an unexpected direction like for mm. example i sometimes have the the tempo of my door uh on a on a fader on a midi fader and i you know just yank it and see or i, I spin it and see where it ends up and then just go with the tempo um mm. that is just uh you know comes up um or i have like a there's also a sequencer or, or a clock device that I use that does that does half time and double time and swing and stuff for channel clock. Um, and when I've done a, a recording, a jam, I just yank the, all the, the the knobs that do different things with the sync and, and the tempo and double time, half time. And sometimes you get, depending on the, the machines they're running, you get totally unexpected um, results, um, which can turn into something completely new. Um, so it's not really a mistake, but it's doing something on purpose, which you do not know the outcome of, uh, and then you try to interact with it or try to save it or to rescue it, which uh, mm -hmm. could end up in another interesting thing. 
yeah. I think a lot a lot of the time I'm uh I'm too I'm probably too impatient to tidy things up so much so that's probably where it, it gets I leave it a little rough because um yeah but I've definitely I definitely know that I've uh there are times when I spent too long on a project and kind of squeezed the life out of it so um mm. I just yeah it's like a balance uh but I think a lot of the time I'm it's because I'm impatient that I mm. that I leave things a little bit rough how about you Ben I think, yeah I I oscillate uh, pretty heavily between um, situations where I guess I have less control and then wanting extreme control over every aspect. Um, like for instance, when I made 1979, which was uh, a couple years ago, that album, that was an ambient album that I recorded all directly to uh, cassette tape. And I was working a lot on, I was scoring a lot. I was like working long hours on other projects and it was kind of my way to unwind at the end of the day. So I would set up my DAW, set up very simple um, arrangements, you know, not, not a ton of, I would just have a couple of elements and I would sort of ride them and play them. And then, and then that was it. And I would record it directly to uh, a cassette tape and, and I would come back and listen to it and, over the the you know and sometimes a, a song would be an evening it would come together sometimes a song would be th three nights but you know matter of hours and i would come back to that and I, and then i at various points i tried to make that better and i just kept making it worse mm. worse and worse and worse and you know i concluded that that that's what that project wanted it was just very simple recorded simply uh, and that was sort of like the heart of it uh, but then every album that I've done since that, or that I'm working on now, even I've ended up spending, uh, you know, over a year building these really complex max patches and really intense, uh, like DSP projects that take me, you know, the whole year to develop this thing. And, <laughs> and it be becomes this thing about like really needing to have sort of as much control, compositional control as possible. And, you know, that's, I think that's just what, what interests me at that time. I just follow my interests and that's, that's where it's taking me. But, it, it, but I have had the thought that like, uh, sometimes our most successful, successful music that like resonates the most with people or even with ourselves is sometimes that stuff that comes together very quickly that you just yeah. kind of are letting Absolutely. it flow out and writing music. But mm -hmm. it, it's, 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 I struggle with that idea. Yeah. But sometimes you have to go through that whole process of uh, discovering new techniques, new approaches, doing all this, going through all the depths and frustrations <laughs> uh, of, of building something that you have in your head or, or want to achieve uh, to finally realize that the simple things uh, can be very interesting as well and, and even um, survive time better than, than the most uh, thought out uh, ideas. The things that come together quick. The things that come together quick or intuitively are usually the usually when you are not really thinking about what you're doing, the more uh, the less you know what you are doing, the better the results will be mm. because it's sort of like an unconscious thing that happens rather than something that is completely um, overthought. And what about yeah. you guys? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, just real quick. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about this this morning when I was thinking about coming on the stream. In that, um, 
sometimes what really interests me to start a project and to want to explore a project is a process. And sometimes it's just writing music. And, you know, for like 1979, I was just writing music. I was just, here I am, I'm going to write some music, I'm going to record it, and there it is. And, and, and now I'm on these projects where it's, what interests me is, is like a, the process, the, 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 the conceptual idea and the process of how I'm going to write the music that is really interesting to me. I, I'm just curious if you guys have ever heard mm. about that. What was, what's I, interesting, what, what I was going to say what's interesting for me actually is that kind of process, which is that when you're working on something and you, you enter a moment of struggle, when you've spent hours and hours and by the end of the day, you think this really hasn't gone the direction I anticipated it going when you're actually working towards a structure. What I've often found is I just literally do a save as, I delete everything. I have all my sound sources already there. I've chosen particular sounds. I've made various sounds and I kind of recreate it in one hour. So I may have spent eight hours trying to get to this place. I haven't mm. arrived there as if I took the wrong bus or something or the train broke down. Mostly my brain broke down. And what I tend to do is remake it in that hour. And quite often, that hour-long version is much more successful because, as Joachim said, it's a little bit like you've worked through the process. You've mm -hmm. kind of mixed all those during the day. You understand where this should be going. But in fact, you've got lost in the kind of structure of it. You're like building this big building and you're lost totally. on all the floors. And sometimes it's better just to demolish it and build it again because you know how to build it within that one hour. And actually, that one hour can be the most successful thing, but you had to invest all the other hours to get to that one totally. hour, of course. That's, the that's a very uh, very disciplined way of, uh, of working, Robin. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the, <laughs> <laughs> the patience of um, recreating something. I actually think recreating something is, is a lot harder uh, than just throwing things out uh, on the fly. Yeah, I'm um, always fascinated by starting stories. Starting a new track is easier than trying to rescue something that hasn't True. been... Um, giving you the the, the sparks. If you know but I'm always fascinated. Oh, sorry, sorry, Tony. You can. Oh yeah, um, I was going to say I I kind of uh, what you're saying resonates with me. But the way that works for me is, you know, if I'm uh, if I've reached a, a dead end with a, a project, I'll I'll save it and I'll I'll come back to it next week, and then what it needs or what's wrong with it will be much more apparent to me. Hmm. Uh, so. Yeah, but it, yeah, you you your your approaches are much uh, you know much more disciplined and and patient <laughs> and yeah, I, I definitely I don't know, I try to use impatience to my to my advantage, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I've definitely over you know more more recently actually I've I've noticed how a lot of ways I work are basically down to being impatient. Hmm. And do you guys, do you, uh, just going back to that question, do you just sit down to write music or do you sit down with your thought like, oh, I want to explore this technique or I want to, to you know, explore this piece of gear or. Oh, but yeah. you, you were saying about, I, I identify with what you're saying about some, and I think we've said about this before with, with Joachim about sometimes you're exploring a process and other times you're, you're right, you're writing music and sometimes that kind of, I don't know, that overlaps and. Uh, it can kind of change along the way. I suppose it also depends upon what manner of work you're doing at any moment. If somebody's invited you to make a record, for example, there's the, let's use inverted commas, the discipline of entering a space, a studio, and beginning to work and working through these ideas. There's other times I work on, I work a lot with contemporary dance. 
So I've written now over 65 pieces for dance companies. That's ballet and solo artists, all kinds of things all over the world. And that's always a strange thing because I, I receive an email usually that says we need 20 minutes of music. And I will say, what kind of mood are we looking for? What kind of structure? And so often they will say, well, you decide. And then I have to sit down and make this thing, make this shape and send it off, hoping that they're going to write back and say, this is fantastic, you know, but could it be a bit faster here? Could it be a bit slower? And that way I have to have a very disciplined way of working. Other times what I've discovered is I just get a piece of gear and the first time I play with it suddenly leads me in a very different direction or I, I watch a tutorial about it so I learn how it actually works <laughs> and I discover a whole new revelation of this thing I've had actually does this thing. And that can lead me in a very different direction. So sometimes I'm actually led by the technology itself to take me on a particular route. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I th I th I've discovered uh, throughout the years ways of uh, forcing things uh, to happen. Mm. So if you, for example, you just, just the simplest things um, like restricting your setup, just pick um, a small amount of pieces of gear and just use that as your instrument and uh, don't get tempted to grab something else if you if you get stuck for five minutes or whatever um, and just you know just focus all on this this one little setup or um, chain of, of instruments or whatever um, and and that will be your that will be my my thing for the entire day and um, I've never failed to get something out of it if if that's the the rule I set to myself so um, mm. and and there's all mm -hmm. kinds of other ways too um, but it it it's uh, it, there the things you can do to um, create circumstances in which things happen, um, I think are underestimated. Mm. Um, um, yeah, the, the circumstances in which you work are, or the circumstances, I mean, the what you allow yourself to use or um, the rules you set to for yourself. It, it can be, they're not rules that are, um, can be th that you need to think about as uh, something that is restrictive, but more like focusing your your, your thoughts. Um, and um, I find that very helpful sometimes. Mm. I think restrictions are really important in some sense, actually. I think there's a danger mm. today when we can have hundreds of plugins. I mean, you can boot up your door and I see it load and it says, you know, I'm just loading 200 of... <laughs> <laughs> plugins and you think this is absurd I'm mm. going to use one of those probably so every now and then I actually go through them and just delete them I bought them they sit on my hard drive I can reinstall them if I want to but I I was going to say that two of my favorite videos I've watched on YouTube are Tony's videos actually those ones where you're talking through your gear and I really love it in a very simple way there's one kind of more ambient setup and there's one more kind oh of yeah set Oh, the, the thing for RA, wasn't it, I think? Was that what it was? And they're great videos. I mean, I think they're really inspiring for a lot of people because they very immediately say, I'm using three pieces of gear here. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they work, and that's all I needed to make this magic happen. I remember when I saw you live at the Purcell Room maybe five or six years ago in London at the Royal Festival Hall. Oh, yeah. And you did a show there. And it was a beautiful show, and I think that was literally just one or two machines. It was something like a... Yeah, it was... was it a, an e easel a music easel and a looper. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And that's all it needed in a way. And actually, it was that reductive quality, less restrictions. It was more about reduction. It was realizing that you can tell the story, yeah. the bare bones of the story. That's all it needs to do. And actually, then you embrace that space. And it actually gives you space to breathe. That's the yeah. other thing. And I think 
you can actually be daunted with a situation, especially even if you're just using software that you stare at, stare at it and think, I could go anywhere, but I don't know where to go because I have too many possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen, I, I've definitely seen people do techno live shows and they're having a, a terrible time because they've got this table full of gear and they're desperate, set up. desperately trying to stay in control of it. And, it. and I understand the, you know, the mindset behind it. It's like, it feels like you're creating safety nets by having more gear mm. there. But really, you just it's impossible mm. for one human to be in to kind of control all that stuff. And it's they're like just, with, it's it's just like in, with, in a permanent like state, a panic attack. Yeah. And it's, it's just it's like, 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 oh, God, every, I, <laughs> horrible. It's like with every other instrument. Uh, the more you know your instrument well, uh, the better you're going to be uh, performing on it. But as somebody comments here, it's quite interesting, actually. Somebody says, I like how Scanner is saying that with 20 year of modular behind him. I think, <laughs> yeah. but, but the point <laughs> I'm trying to make, no, I think what's interesting <laughs> is how often do you watch a chef on a TV show stand in their kitchen and they're surrounded by all the tools of their trade, all the possible herbs, but they don't use all those herbs. Yeah, all know. they do is put this basil leaf there. <laughs> that's your exactly. Day. Yeah, and that's 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 the that's the most important point. And because people often bring this up, and I know they're, they're they're being cheeky about this, but I think it's an important point to make, which is you don't use everything. You know, you may have a wardrobe full of your clothes, but you don't wear every shirt and jumper and pair of trousers at the same time. Maybe you do. It's a great style. You know, it's a great <laughs> statement to make. But I think what, what I'm trying to say, and I think people hopefully understand this is it's about making those decisions with the choice of things you have. When I perform live, I have one small 6U modular case. That's it. Yeah. That's all I have. And that's all I need for it. In fact, it's too much. I can do it with a kind of half size of that, a 3U. But, you know, I think it's important to remember that analogy with the chef is, is it's playful, but it's quite important. You know, the chef doesn't use everything in the kitchen. Any, any work person doesn't use every tool they have in their truck or their van. They use the job, they use the tool for the job. And I think that's what's important to remember. Yeah. I sound like a school teacher there. I didn't mean it to sound <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, may, it makes you think. Uh, I remember, you know, when, when I started out making uh, started out making techno, it was like hardware, hardware gear, and it felt, uh, it felt, really liberating to move to using a logic audio and having this kind of multi-tracking audio and be able, you know, I, I basically started working with audio in the computer and it was really liberating because, you know, before that there were so many ideas I had that I just couldn't, I just couldn't do. Um, things weren't stable enough or whatever, but then, you know, I got into that computer world and then I got really bogged down with that. And then, you know, there was a point where I kind of came out of that and became connected more with hardware again. And now the sort of combination of the two, I, I find, I find really, really fun, you know, as long as I keep a perspective, but, oh, but, you know, um, it's also realizing the, the power of, um, of restriction and simplicity, like, like you were saying, Robin, you know, it's, it's limiting myself to a few pieces of gear or something like that and realizing, oh, actually, maybe that's why those early tracks work really well because I had to work really hard with some, like, terrible gear uh, and be really inventive with, with bad, you know, limited equipment instead of having, like, this 
sea of uh billions of plugins and hmm. and presets and things like that so yeah it's it's kind of funny having this kind of full circle thing like i don't know like 20 25 years later or something it's like oh yeah but isn't it also something isn't it that doesn't have to do with um the stuff you imagine yourself of um of be, being able to do um with the stuff that you've got on your uh, at your at your fingertips right i mean uh and i'm not phrasing this well but um if you if you have a um, a few pieces of gear or use like you said it's it's restricted or um limited or crappy or whatever um i don't think um it you can still have uh, a very clear focused idea where you want to go with it and um it makes you work harder but um i i to be honest i don't feel any difference in um uh, whether I have a lot of stuff um, to work with, a lot of gear to work with, or just a very uh, small amount of gear to work with, you know, the idea where I want to, what I want to do is is pretty much all the same, and it's just uh, okay. Now I've got this to my disposal. I'll I'll figure out how I can get where I want to go. You know what I mean? It's um, it doesn't really. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or is it is it uh, a bit convoluted what I'm saying? I mean the. Um, it's uh yeah what i guess i guess i guess what i'm saying is whatever you um I, i'm sure it's true for all of us whatever you give us if the, there's always something you can get out of it um you can imagine what you can do with it you know well i think you can easily look at the analogy of a, a pianist and i think you know the piano yeah. is an instrument that's been around for so long and yet people can still write unique original music on this device. Yeah, yeah, you're not saying in, in five words what I tried to say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <for> <laughs> but, they, but people you know, <laughs> taught themselves to, to explore the technique of using the instrument, you know. And I think to me what, what is really quite stunning still about music to me is the fact that we've been making this stuff for so long, music, not only with technology, long before electricity was around, but we still have original voices within this field. And I still find that absolutely amazing that people can use the same tools. You know, a rock band can use guitars and drums and bass, but you recognize within a moment, on, if a track comes on the radio, you can recognize whether that's the Rolling Stones or the Beatles or Radiohead by the shape and style and color and technique and everything in these pieces. To me, that's quite magical. Whether you like these bands or not doesn't matter. But I think what fascinates me about production with, within music is that signature style. Yeah, you know? signature. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the signature, like with, with the piano, is really interesting. You had pianists mm. in the last century, everyone from Henry Cowell, who, who made this amazing piece of music where he basically hammered on the piano just before John Cage made the prepared piano, but took an instrument that everybody was familiar with, but took it into a whole new world. So this piano, which was previously playing beautiful tunes and melodies, suddenly became this incredible percussive instrument. And I think, you know, that's what's really unique about it. And then people started doing it with the guitar and making kind of prepared guitars and processing them through different amplifiers. And when pedals came into kind of that word, guitar pedals, in the same way we talk about synthesizers and electrical instruments like that, there's a whole world of people who are completely fanatical about guitar pedals. I heard a story recently about someone he said that he was selling his pedals and he'd sold 400 of them, but that's about a third of his collection. <laughs> and he bought 10 of each pedal 
And you think maybe a backup if you're on tour or something would be quite useful if you're in a big band, but 10 of everything? I'm not sure where you're going to go with this unless you're building some great art sculpture in your house. In fact, do you have the space to have that many? I don't know. But the signature thing is really important. I think it's something that all of us would recognise, the idea of not deliberately looking for a signature sound, but developing your voice as the years progress, you know, and you find yourself in a way. Do you not have definitely, that? Do you not, yeah, you it, find, you it definitely appeals to collectors, the, you know, the pedal and the modular thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, modular is, um, is as much a shopping culture as it is um, a music-making culture, for sure. <clears throat> my favorite thing, I say it to one of my best friends, I always say, the thing that strikes me about the modular world is the amount of people that put modules for sale secondhand online and say, use this for one hour, use this for two hours, still sealed. And you think, really? You gave up on it after two oh, wow. hours. You know, you gave up on it after an hour. It's still sealed. I mean, at the moment, perhaps somebody bought it and then realized they lost their job or something like that. So it's difficult to judge. But for me, for some years, I've noticed that people buy things and I see them advertise this new product <clears> coming out. And then I see everybody selling them again. You think, wow, that's a strange situation. That kind of things need an investment at times, your own investment in terms of learning something and seeing what it can actually offer you, I think. I, I would I, I would assume that that was that was um, the problem is when when people uh, create an idea about something and then they you know receive this module and it's not what they mm. what they imagined it to be and instead of I don't know instead of like experiencing what it is and and enjoying what it is and working with what it is it's it's kind of it's disrupted their their mental image of it, so that's why that's why they're immediately disappointed by it and then sell it. It's like they haven't hour. even had a chance to to enjoy it. But also, these things take an investment of your time. I mean, you yeah. need to learn how to use them. You can buy a very simple guitar pedal and then discover that even through just like a reverb and a particular setting, this thing can be extraordinary. The great thing today is. We have a thing called YouTube and other places where you can actually see people demonstrating this and you realise actually the potential of some of these things that you may otherwise have dismissed and hence you have that whole kind of climate of people suddenly discovering a guitar pedal from 20 years ago that everybody dismissed and you can still buy for $20 almost. And then everybody thinks, I better get it quick because you know it's going to suddenly go up on all the, the markets. Everybody's going to want this incredibly cheap but very versatile pedal. That happens. It's... It's strange with um, with YouTube demos though, because there can be some amazing bits of gear that aren't demoed really uh, badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing, and <laughs> and it, yeah, it's it's difficult. It, I think it can be difficult to. I mean, you know, um, yeah, it's uh, there are there's definitely useful things about about kind of. Uh, uh, technique techniques on YouTube, but yeah, demoing demoing new gear. It's yeah, it can be difficult to figure out, or like a module or something. Sometimes it can be difficult to figure out: Am I actually going to like that? And you know, just because yeah. ev everyone uses the same piece of gear in in such different ways, mm. um, I find that my my desire for new gear is inversely proportional to my creative satisfaction. Ah. <laughs> so if I'm on a project and it's all going great and it's, it's gelling, I I'm like, I, I have everything I need. I don't need yeah. anything yeah. ever again. 
And the second I'm like, you know, the second that starts dipping down, it's like, ah, let's go on YouTube. Let's see. Ooh, that's kind of cool. You know, yeah, I, I just thought, yeah. And, and, and it's true. You don't need all this stuff, but there are those times when it can spark a new direction oh, or absolutely. a new absolutely. territory. Or, but I do find that when I'm happiest, I, I don't sort of lust after things. Yeah, it, yeah. Because it, it, it's, you know, it, it's a lust. It is, it is shopping yeah. culture as well. You know, it's like, the, it's the, you know, you want that, that quick satisfaction. Yeah. But there's also the, something like you said, what you said about, uh, getting a new piece of gear doesn't always, uh, mean that, it, that it's, uh, you acquire it to rescue you from a hmm. less creative period or whatever, but it can also be, uh, a challenge, you know, taking on a new journey to really discover something new and, uh, go to a, a you know, use your mind in a different way. Because this piece totally. of gear was was designed in a different way, it asks diff for a different relationship with it or something. Uh, it could give you some new ideas and new insights, and um, just the the joy of um, going down uh, a rabbit hole uh, with a new piece of gear can be uh, mm. amazing and mm. very inspiring. Ha also, can we? Oh yeah, so, ca carry on, Ben. I was going to say, can we talk about how powerful tools are these days? It, it continually blows me away how oh, yeah. powerful things are now and you know like I, I it occurred to me the other day that i could spend a lifetime exploring and discovering new things in a free open source piece of software like superclad or, or c sound mm -hmm. or or pd or whatever for the rest of my life as, as long as like my my mental um uh, as long as I thought about it the right way and continue to explore it the right way, like the, each tool is just, it's almost endless now. I know that that sounds silly, but like there, there are so many embedded, powerful DSP things in, in, uh, in modular or incredibly powerful VSTs and DAWs. I mean, it's, or these like, you know, DSP sort of open-ended programming platforms that it's 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 crazy to me now how, how different it is like from 15 20 years ago are you a good programmer ben you're I'm curious. um i mean i've been using max max msp for 15 16 17 years or something okay. um and i've been getting it you know and i've messed around with super collider for that I, I i'm not like a i don't know anything about traditional programming and in fact, I almost ordered uh, like a, a programming for dummies book the other day <laughs> because like I, I truly don't understand sort of the the high level, like uh, above the forest view of all of the different programming languages. But I've been getting more and more into it. I've been learning this thing called title cycles and uh, a couple other live coding languages for um, one of them is for Max MSP. It's called Jibberwocky. Um, there's this other one called Opus Opus Modus. Um, these You're are all just, just making these up, are you? You're not just inventing yeah, these, are you? Just they're horrible names. Um, Actually, but, uh, but they're still powerful. This is kind of the control I was talking about. Like, I do lust for this kind of like mm. low-level control often. Can you can you explain the, the the title sequencing and the title cycle stuff that you're um, you're you're talking about? Because we had Richard Devine on a few weeks ago, and he was talking about that as well. I don't think that's something uh, that's very well known by by a lot of people. So what does it do? Yeah, title cycles, um, it's, a it's a live coding language, which is a whole sort of subgenre of electronic music and coding. So it's, 
live coding language is all about uh, manipulating the text in real time. So they're, they're very sort of concise. You don't have to type a lot. Um, and it's all about manipulating the text as you're performing. So the performance is how you're manipulating the text in, in general. You, you can also use them as studio tools in a more linear fashion, but in general, they're, they're about real-time manipulation. Um, and so Title Cycles is a program that's written in Haskell, which I didn't really know anything about until, until this. And it communicates, with, it communicates via OSC defaulted to SuperCollider, and SuperCollider is the synth and sample engine, but you could switch that to anything that, that accepts OSC. What's interesting about Title Cycles is that it's all about pattern and it has, it has this, um, this method or philosophy. I don't know what you would call it uh, of a cycle. So you can think of it as a circle circle is one cycle. So if you add two events, you know, you, you could think you have half notes. They're, they're one, they're at this point, these two points in the circle. And then if you add three, <laughs> everything is always relational. It, it's a, it's a rational number, I guess. So then then you have thirds. If you add five, then you have five things in this cycle. So, um, so the events speed up. So you, it, that's unlike most se uh, sequencers where if you have four uh, half notes and you just say, I want five half notes, the half notes don't get shorter. You just, the, the sequence gets longer. Mm -hmm. But in this, they, got, they all smush together. So there are ways around that. But what, what happens is you end up with a system that is very easy to generate complex rhythm sequences that are unlike other sequencers. And Sky, added uh, to that, Foreman asks, "Isn't that Euclidean sequencing, or what is the difference?" Um, it has Euclidean sequencing, and the way, and, and that is a good description of Euclidean sequencing. Um, but there. Are, but there are so many ways. So Euclidean sequencing will always have even distributions of the events. In title cycles, you could say the second event, I want six events to happen. And those, those will all squish into that second event. And you can continue and, and uh, modify the sequences like that. And then you also get away from linear sequencing in that you have these sort of text-based modifications. So you could say every third cycle, reverse it. Or every third cycle, rotate it or every third cycle switch sequences entirely and or, or you could have these overlapping sequences so this one is you know five long and this one is 12 long with a, a division of a modulo of 12 and this one you can end up with these very complex sequences i want to hear it be, now <laughs> yeah it's fun, man. That would be, it would be very very hard to linearly uh, make so you know you could do it but it's like it, you just won't because it's so it's a complex thing to try to figure out <laughs> so what's interesting about it is you just end up with very like complex you with with a very short amount of code once you learn it it's very very hard to learn i gotta say the <laughs> I, i'm really i'm hurting really my, into it's, it it's really hurting my brain right now <laughs> know, yeah, so 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 did it did it give you the results you wanted from it did you get any did, did that's it, what did i wanted you, to ask, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this has been sort of my my quarantine project. You know, like when the quarantine hit, oh. I just kind of went full in on this. And so I've been I've been learning um, for probably three months now, and it's it's starting to sort of gel. But I think I need another month or two before I really can flow with it. 
Um, but it is, it's allowing me, the reason I got into it is that, you know, I came from being a hip hop DJ. Um, hip hop, underground hip hop was the first music that I loved. And, and then I started making, you know, then I got an MPC and I was making hip hop instrumentals, you know, it's hip hop inspired beats. Um, so then my first three albums, I think are basically that they're like dark textural hip hop inspired downbeat electronic music. Then I, I've since, since 1979, I've really gotten away from, from drums and from rhythm. And I think partially is that when I go, if you gave me some pads or a keyboard or a sequencer, I default to certain rhythms that I, that I know and that I grew up listening to. Mm, okay. And I think I've become a little bored with that. So I'm trying to figure out a way to mm. bring rhythm back into my music that is interesting to me. That makes so sense. I, and, and that, and, and in that, and in that way, uh, it has, it has worked. It's just now, you know, it, it's like you were talking about with all the tools, you are able to create immense amount of complexity very, very quickly. And now it's really about limiting that and saying, okay, like here's my pattern. I'm just going to do one thing. And that's the whole piece of music. Mm. Um, because it, you sort of, I'm running into this problem where like, it's so powerful, but doesn't mean that you should do it. just cause you can, doesn't mean you should <laughs> do all of that. Um, so really it's, it's now about me learning, just learning these little, it, it's like a whole universe. And you're just saying, I, I just want to live here in this one little star over here and explore it. And then maybe I'll move over here and explore it and just sort of, kind of ignore all this other stuff until you're ready to, to explore that. Uh, so, but, but it's happening. It's happening. It, it, cool. it, yeah, it, yeah. It's I mean, the, you know, th things like this, learning, learning things like this. Uh, it's being in a studio, trying to get these, get, trying to get your head around things like this, is never wasted time. It'll always teach you something that you might be able to use in a different context or later on, or um, or even get you know, or even finally master it, so so, so you can actually use it all the time. But um, yeah, sometimes um, the time you are not really putting something to committing something to tape, as it were, but still uh, spend your time learning uh, is. I don't think it's ever really wasted. Do you? I'm always intrigued yeah. by this idea of mastering, yeah. though. I'm always intrigued intrigued by the idea of mastering. Well, mastering. I mean, yeah. what I, no, what no, I mean just, by that is being fluid on something. You no, know, I agree. Yeah. It's a it's a term I'm used to from you know from classical music and everything where people talk about mastering the violin and this kind of mm. thing and I'm always intrigued by it because I I say to myself quite frequently I say I really want to master this instrument this piece of gear I don't think I <laughs> I've never done that with anything I've got in a way and I think I've I've started getting interested in even more reductive technology in a way and this isn't no no disrespect to software and Ben's you know beautiful description of what this can do but I find myself intrigued by very basic instruments in a sense. I picked up recently these tiny synths made by an American company called Elitone. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They're, 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 they're tiny little things and you use little cables and you move between them and you never quite know what you're doing and even the pressure of your fingers on them changes <laughs> them. And I like them because there's no way you could ever, and I, and I only use this term now, master. There's no way you could ever really learn how it works because there are so many configurations, again, like software in a sense, there are so many ways that you could patch 
this one tiny little instrument that I could never know what it's going to do. And I'm actually really enjoying that at the moment. I mean, I think, you know, what Ben's saying in some sense is interesting as well, which is that uh, he's one of the few people who wants lockdown to continue. <laughs> so he can master, he can finally really, you know, champion this software. And I think, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing, the joke for a lot of us, I think, uh, or the, the, the remark lots of people made at the beginning of sort of February, March was in lockdown. I've been like this for X amount of years, you know, because so many people work on their own. I think what it's offered a lot of people is time which hasn't been spent either traveling or meeting deadlines, receiving almost zero income on the other side of things, which doesn't quite balance so well. But, you know, I've been trying to embrace it as well in a positive way and learn things and read manuals and play with things and try and champion them, you know, to see what they can actually do. It's a tricky one. I mean, I'm intrigued by software, but, you know, my eyes didn't exactly glaze over, but I thought... I'm not sure I can yeah, really learn yeah, I, this. I really, uh, you know, I, I I have a great admiration for people who can get so deep into the programming, like you know the the Ortega guys and and this this kind of a, a programming approach. But I, I very early on realised that I'm not. I'm however much I'd like to be, I'm not a programmer. It's just not how my head works. And and like what Robin said about gear, I've been really enjoying exploring gear maybe which is kind of slightly uh, influenced by the idea of like the, um, okay, now I can't think of it. The What's the, the thing that you kind of go, ooh, Theremin. Theremin. Yeah, that one. I had no idea. Yeah. The theremin and, you know, like the, 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 the Russian guys, uh, Soma, they seem, uh, I've read they're really influenced oh, yeah. by, theremin and you know they make all this gear which is i i actually secretly love that it frustrates a lot of people so much because it it's so you can't control it it's untamable you can't tune it very well and but you know it it reacts to you play it in a much more physical way and that's you know um i guess maybe with quite a lot of electronic musicians they're not so used to uh, interacting in such a subtle and physical way with the the gear, mm. so that's that's been a lot of fun. And and the thing the the gear that Robin was talking about, you know, that sounds fun as well. Where you know you have to, there's something about it that you have to um, uh, give up uh, the control. Like you have to kind of uh, submit to it somehow. Yeah, link, yeah you kind yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. And that and that that can be I, really fun. Yeah, it's I've got a pieces. I got a few pieces made by um, Folk Tech. Yeah, um, yeah. They're from uh, Portland, and uh, one of them has um, strings sticking out and some parallel effect processors, and it's really a performance instrument. Mm. Uh, but you never know what it's what it's going to do. You can kind of predict it, but you have to move really slowly and kind of go along with whatever it's doing. Um, uh, but because there's never a way that you can completely control it. So I like to be on sort of the the edge of um, yeah. sort of riding the wave where the instrument takes you and, and still manipulating it in in a way that you end up in different territories. But, there's but another one called um, uh, uh, Mescaline, which is oh, also yeah. very... I have this, yeah. Yeah, I've got it too. It's... Um, it's, well. it's absolutely beautiful <laughs> oh, nice. and uh, yeah. yeah you can you can never yeah i mean you, you you can understand what it does to a certain extent but you never completely 
are uh, able to predict what is coming out. It's funny, I have a video on my YouTube channel using the mescaline. Mm -hmm. And one of the first comments somebody made was, it can be musical as well. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's such a beautiful, I, I made this very simple, very melancholic kind of slow motion ambient piece with it. Almost immediately, it's, it wasn't that difficult to do and I'm not that knowledgeable about mm. it. But I, I just, you know, I was actually playing it with my fingers and also moving whatever those cables are called. You know, those funny cables it uses. Yeah. I'm not sure what the term of those. Yeah, they're, they're, they're breadboard cables. Yeah, breadboard cables. Yeah, yeah. And literally, I was just plugging them in through a reverb and this thing was just floating through space. And actually, it turned out beautiful. But what I noticed after that person mentioned this, I went back online and I saw that so many videos I watched of this instrument were kind of chaos, mm. which is beautiful in itself, but wasn't what I was looking for, you know. But you can control the beast. But I think, you know, Tony used the word as well, I think, which is organic about some of these instruments. What I really love about them is they actually feel like you're playing an instrument. I'm not yeah. sure if you play instruments. I mean, I, I studied the piano when I was a very young boy, when I was sort of nine and 10, stopped by about the age of 12 because my mother couldn't afford the piano lessons, which were 50 pence. So that <laughs> was the end of my musical career. And then I taught myself the guitar. So the guitar is the only thing I can really play. And I still like the physicality. I still like the physical relationship of my fingers to a board touching these strings and that kind of very organic character of it. And it's something I've always longed for in instruments. And I'm still in both a love affair with electricity as in software and music, but also hardware. I love the two actually, and I can't really choose between the two. I slip between them at times. Sometimes I think I'm really enjoying this. And then I discover a piece of software and think, wow, this has really opened up my mind into what I could actually do with this. And I think, you know, it's it's going back to the point that Ben made, which is that we are at an extraordinary time of possibilities. And I think that's the key word. There are so many possibilities with what we have today, you know, and again, it's about reining those in to what, what you want those things to do and being able to control them in some way. Yeah. I also, I also find that I, I kind of like the feeling of being lost in the woods uh, and needing to find your way home, Mm. you know, and um, I don't, if, and, and sometimes this, this actually is a question for, for everybody. Sometimes that experience is not fun at all. It's, it's, it's hard. It's challenge. It's struggle. And it's a lot of things that aren't working to get to one that does feel like it's working. Um, but I, I've heard a lot of you mention sort of play. And a lot of my process does not feel playful. Oh. It feels... Um, it feels challenging. And, and I actually, I kind of like that. I don't know what that says about me, uh, but I do, I, I like feeling like I'm in over my head and I have to swim pretty hard to, to get back to the surface. And cause it feels like that's when I'm really growing in a way. And again, it goes back to what we were saying in the beginning. That doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't necessarily relate to the music. That doesn't mean I'm just writing music, but learning in terms of broadening my skills and therefore the possibilities of what I can make in the future. Hmm. Are you are you using us as your therapist here? You don't want to pay a therapist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just realized I know. We, should, we should be lying on a couch. I do I do this for everyone. Don't, don't feel special. Don't feel uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was going to say um I. I've in the past I've played around with Super Collider, but it was very much it was quite quite a long time ago. Um, 
maybe like 15 ish years ago. And, but I would essentially take existing code and just kind of mess around with it and you, and use my own samples or whatever like that. And I actually did, um, uh, at Birmingham university, there was a, there was like a summer school, a super collider summer school and the, and whoever, I don't know, wrote the thing. He, he James was actually McCartney. Hmm? James McCartney. Yeah, that was it. And he, he actually, um, you know, uh, hosted this, this summer school and it was just so over my head. And I was like, I was, I was like buying, uh, C for dummies to try cause it's, isn't it close to C the language or, or have uh, I got that I completely wrong? I think like that, super collider yeah. is kind of based on C or something. I know yeah, may, may, sure. maybe that's where I went completely wrong, but, <laughs> but yeah, I really tried to get into it, but it's just like, I don't know. That's like I say, I have a lot of admiration for people who can get their head around that stuff, but it's just, um, yeah, it's just not, well, it's just not, who, not for me, you know, it's not my aptitude. Um, yeah, the, the, I mean, the, yeah. there are, there are plenty of people who can, but, um, it's very rare that, um, people are both really, really good programmers and really, really talented musicians. It's there, there are people who can do both, but they're very, um, I don't think there are any, very many, um, it's either the one or the other, I think. I think that's very yeah. But to be fair, I'm I'm not trying to claim myself in in any of those categories. But uh, I just want to make the distinction. I don't consider myself a programmer like at all. I've just learned how to use some music programming languages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. I mean, it's like you know, it's a you, must, you must have a, a better aptitude at it than that i do because or yeah again it's just me being impatient as well yeah i don't i don't have the patience yeah, I'm, I'm a bit like you, Tony. Like, I've, I've touched all these things as well i've, I've done pro try to program in reactor MaxMSP, uh kima all that stuff you know and um luckily the most of these languages come with um or these programs come with very active and very helpful communities oh. that can help you out and even there, there's a a lot of distribution going on uh, with uh, example patches or instruments built by others that you can modify. So, um, I mean, is it, if, as it comes, as, if it's just a way to um, get into these things to get results, um, it's worth getting into because you can always find something that sort of does what you were imagining to do with it mm. uh, that has already been made by somebody else. And if it doesn't do exactly the thing that you do, you can ask for help or have people work with you to modify it or whatever or mm. modify it yourself um so even even though it it um yeah it can be very daunting um still there is a lot of help around and a lot of ways you can you can still fiddle around with it and get results out of it without understanding fully what it's doing or how it works yeah. or how the programming works behind it yeah for me for me learning these these languages is all project based so you kind of I have to have an idea of what I want to build and then I try to build it. Um, but in the, the catch is that you kind of have to have, you have to kind of have to know the platform at least somewhat to sort of know what it's capable of. Mm. And then, then you can really have the ideas that are where that paradigm or language is good at, it, that's the right tool for what you want to build. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Tony. Like I, I'm pretty, in a way I consider myself pretty lazy when it comes to tools. Like 
if they're, I want to do some, I want to use the tool that will get it done the quickest. Mm. Often for me, that is software. Mm. Uh, but it's, but it's like, I'll turn to making it only if I like have searched everywhere and I've, I can't find it. And I really want to explore this thing, this particular idea, then I'll go about trying to make it, um, but I'm, but I'm the same way. I mean, I'm pretty like, I, I just want the fastest way possible. Mm. Um, that's also why I think I, I, I go in and out of my love of modular is that the workflow for me of, of modular is uh, pretty tough. Like it's, you know, I'm, you're, you're often, I'm often find myself trying to duplicate things that I can do very quickly in the computer. So oh, yeah. for me, it's like using the tool that is, that, that plays to the strengths of that instrument. So, you know, for modular, it's, um, it's CV signals and, um, uh, really like having electricity control of these things and being, uh, indeterministic and, um, uh, God, what am I trying to say? It's, it's like, it also like the decoupling of the node on and node off with the pitch. That's just a huge idea right there that uh, modular does automatically but actually very few software instruments do at all. Like you have to program that. Um, so think, you know, like pitch sequencing is an area that I find very interesting in the modular, but, but then you find, you, you know, you get trapped in these little areas where you're like, Oh, I just need a, uh, this one little thing. That's like, you have to spend a hundred dollars, couple hundred dollars to get this one little thing that the that software does so easily. So it's, I think it's just about finding that line for me of when to use a certain tool. I mean, it's helped today, though. I think, you know, we have things like CV tools that Ableton Live offers. Yeah. So you can combine those worlds in a very, very simple way now. I mean, you can literally yeah. have the door running, connected to a modular, and have the two things speak in very fluently, fluidly and fluently very quickly without any kind of programming, any setup, basically. It's literally a cable. I found that really liberating, actually. I I'd, I'd realized quite early on that if I'm making work and I feel like I want to, well, if it's a commission work, if somebody's asked me to write something or a remix or a production, I probably don't use the modular nearly as much because it's going to take longer to reach the finishing point, you know. So I would tend to use software and I can wrap myself inside that world and really envelop that, you know, that, that, that kind of environment and make this thing happen in a sense. Whereas what I do love about anything outside of the computer is the fact I don't fully understand it. And I don't know whether it's like having two different people speaking different languages who don't really understand each other trying to have that conversation. <laughs> and I like that, actually. I like the fact that the tuning may be slightly off. You know, often, obviously, on software, most times when you open up something, it's perfectly in tune and you have to play with it to alter the tuning. What I love with lots of the things I have is... I haven't tuned them quite often. They're not in tune. And you only realize like, you tune them to themselves. And then later on, you think, maybe I could add something to that after you've removed all the cables and finished it, of course. You can't because the pitch is slightly <laughs> off. You're in between notes in a sense. It's one of those really painful moments. But, you know, there's such a liberating quality with all these kind of technologies. And not that we want to endlessly say we love technology, but I think, you know, there, there's something. When, I mean, for example, what I've been doing during lockdown is archiving my old tapes. I saw somebody earlier in the conversation here asked how, how old I am. 
I'm 56. <laughs> I was born in 1964. Oh my, you say, what great skin you have. Thank you. And uh, it's, uh, but what's interesting, I have tapes going back from 1976 and 77 because we had a tape recorder at home. We had a Binatone Empress. I know this exactly because I found a tape the other day when I used to record Spider-Man off television, off television before video recorders were around. And uh, during the recording, I say at the end, Binatone, Empress tape recorder. And I read all the credits off the tape recorder. So in fact, I've just used that recording in, in, a, in a project that goes out in August on a special podcast. But what's funny is going back and hearing all these tapes, and most of them recorded on this single mono machine where sound can only follow sound. And that's what's really liberating, because in those days, all you could do is record something and then record something after it and then something after it or reverse it and go and record over something. You couldn't put sounds on top of each other. And it's a very simple thing to say, but it's so easily forgotten because anybody that comes to technology today can suddenly have. And my favorite moment was there was an, uh, one of those big Apple performance things they do, you know, they're kind of... Uh, what are those things called? You know, where Apple present a new keynote talk, keynote speech, and they had something like Logic they were showing, and they said you can have a thousand tracks. And I thought, <laughs> this is this is truly a nightmare. And I read a, it reminded me of an article I read in this magazine, Sound on Sound, with the band Muse, and they said, on our new record, we're getting back to basics. You know, we're, none of that, none of those layering of things. We've only used three hundred tracks, three hundred channels sorry you know of audio on each track and i thought 300 channels i know you've got a separate mic over every every part of the drum kit and everything but 300 tracks that's not what's getting back to basics so over the lockdown what i've been doing is actually digitizing all my archive and going through all the old cassettes all the four track recordings all the tiac reel to reel recordings i made when i was a teenager and it's quite wonderful to hear i don't mean it's great music i just mean what's interesting is Hearing somebody, me as a, a young boy, trying to make this stuff with the most minimum means and seeing what emerges and then comparing it to where I am today. And I can't deny that actually it doesn't sound that far away. <laughs> you think I've spent my life savings building up a studio and it sounds like something I did on a, a mono cassette some 35 plus years ago. Hmm. It's quite funny in a way, but there's, there's something incredibly rewarding at the same time about hearing this kind of world beyond you you know your own recordings from way back and i mean you have recordings you guys from i wonder i'm just curious you have recordings from early on yeah i've actually done the same thing uh beginning of the quarantine uh, go through my uh old cdrs and dat tapes um i i haven't got around doing cassettes yet but i i still have a box a very big box full of them and also reel-to-reel -reel tapes but um yeah i'm um uh, it's 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 crazy you, you forget about things so easily <laughs> mm. um things you dismissed at the time and and now think they're interesting because um you, i guess you have more distance to it and mm. um and even if yeah i don't know it's it's funny um that actually leads me to another question i'm curious about um are you, are you guys constantly just recording so if you sit down at a synth uh, do you are you just recording everything i am yeah or, or are you waiting until like okay this i'm going to work out a part and this is the thing and then you know is it sort of like 
you're, you work down, you sit down at something and you're, you're working out a part for something. You're just kind of playing and recording and then figuring out what it is later or, or both. Uh, as soon as I'm, uh, I'm in the studio, um, the recording is running. Hmm. I, I'm not, yeah. I, I'm, I'm playing, playing around. And then at a, at some point I'll, 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 I'll like record a take or, or whatever, whatever it is I'm doing. But, um, yeah, I was thinking earlier on about how I used to, uh, you know, if I've got a live setup, I used to, I used to have it all, uh, going into a desk and I would be kind of like multi-tracking everything. And, um, I kind of stopped doing that. And a lot of the times I end up working just with just a stereo recording, um, of kind of the live thing that I'm doing and then, and then putting that in the computer and then adding other things to it. That seems to be, maybe that fits with my impatience again, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. No, I, I do the same. I do the same for thing. Some reason, I, I used yeah, to split yeah. it all up, but mm-hmm. I, I ended up never, not very often using that. Maybe I do something. If I've, if I'm using more gear at the same time, I'll have like, two uh, like two stereo you know uh maybe it's like two kind of two setups uh like synced up and just record a uh, stereo from one and a stereo from the other so i can kind of end up discarding one or whatever but um i don't know um it's funny how how i've ended up you know i'm i'm like i'm not really using all the uh what's what's there in front of me and just using it in a much more simple way and and i don't know weren't we were talking about mistakes earlier on so that that almost that kind of forces me to use what i've got and i don't know i that that really works for me that that uh that maybe forces my creativity or ingenuity or something when something's not quite write about the take that I've recorded and I quite enjoy figuring out a way to make it work. And, and I find that, uh, that's kind of quite part of my process, really just doing things badly and trying to like, it's like, uh, how am I going to dig myself up? out? How do I dig myself out of this hole? Yeah. I think that's that's, that's my process really. It's really imperfect. Yeah, I, I I understand what you're Being saying. Buried alive. I I have to yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have the same thing when I when I'm playing live. I like to go in directions where I have to kind of rescue myself out of um, situations which become very dangerous, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, and that Getting that excites thrown at you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, that excites me enough to really work hard to sort of maneuver myself myself way. You know, trying yeah, to find yeah, there's, something exci- there's something exciting about that. Absolutely, yeah. I like the danger of it, yeah. But in the studio, mm-hmm. that, that touches up what you just said about um, uh, not recording everything and you know just go with a stereo or a very simple thing committed to tape uh, and then trying to sort of enhance it or trying rescue to rescue it. <laughs> yeah, rescue it. It also kind of touches on what um, Ben was saying in the beginning about the, the 1979 album. Um, sometimes you 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 are recording something and uh, doing something unconsciously or something uh, not really um, uh, 
with as an official take and then you try the official take later and you go back to the initial recording which in the end is something because it was spontaneous and completely new when when you did it uh it kind of survives the whole th or translates the the idea better than than the rehearsed or official take you know so that's why i always have the recording on because i find myself often um if I tr if I get to the point where I really understand the piece I'm working on, I'm already at the stage where I should abandon it, you know. <laughs> and um, mm. um, I like the initial um, idea, the spark, you know, the um, where the sort of the where the lights go on, like mm. ah, fuck, mm. this is amazing. And then and then you you try to mold it in, into something more structured or more definitive or more uh, finished. Um, and then you, I often find myself losing the the energy of the initial moment. So that's why I usually so, go back then to the earlier version, mm -hmm. and that becomes the final one. The so now, syndrome. <laughs> so now you just record your whole day or whatever. And now, how do you go through and sift through and? That's the big. Find I remember. <laughs> I remember. I remember. Oh, so, I always, I must say, I always do it right when I stop the recording. So w let's say if I've recorded three hours of stuff, I know the first hour is probably just all, mm. you know, nothing. Um, but then I know there were some moments where I, I got this, uh, um, the, this magic moment feeling. Uh, and um, I, by skipping through the recording really quickly, I, I know to, how to find them. And I just quickly rendered them out as a, as a small section. Um, and, uh, and then you delete the you delete the rest. Uh, well, not necessarily. I mean, I never really run out of space, um, but um, um, I don't go back to it. No, so it's it's there, but it's it's not really there mm. to be found again or anything. That's it's so interesting because that's a lot of cassettes, isn't it? You're recording. Uh, <laughs> it's on, yeah, it's on mini disc. Hard disk yeah. space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I asked about that because uh, Robin, what you're, you know, you're talking about your old tapes got me thinking about it, and I've got, I've really gotten out of the habit of just recording a lot of sounds, and and I, I'm much like Tony, where I. I'll leave like a patch up on a synth for a week, and I'll be sequencing and sequencing, and I. And I know in my head, like, no, it's not quite right. It's not quite right. And then I'll I'll just try to do the final sort of recording. And then so I end up with one recording. But I, I don't tend to record the all of the weeks leading up to that final thing. And I this is interesting because I think I, I used to do that more where I would just... I would just get some get software or, or, or new gear and just experiment, just play and see what happens yeah. and i think now that uh i'm older and i have <laughs> i have a kid and i have more more requirements on my time that i find myself just really exploring or experimenting and just recording it less and less and it's much more like i'm doing a task and i and i'm to get that task mm -hmm. done which isn't great i, I mean i i do want to get back to just playing because it's fun but it's interesting i i know uh you know there there are different uh phases you go through with with uh working with different techniques but i at the point i i felt really bogged down being kind of just in the computer and where i had this uh kind of epiphany and liberation about going more into the hardware realm that that was about dis rediscovering this idea of playing and 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 having this kind of full 
a slight full circle moment where it's like, wow, I'm, it's like I used to do. I'm having fun right now. Mm. Wow. I'd, mm. oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about fun and play. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, mm. I heard, um, I heard, a and there was an interview with Pierre, Pierre Henri, um, the, um, music, the music concrete, um, uh, composer and he was he was talking about the importance of play and that really resonated as well and um i think it's key because i think otherwise unless this is your job in the sense you feel like you're going into an office and you have to deliver a certain amount of product by a certain time to make a certain amount of money for someone or for yourself i think the element of play is absolutely key i think it's something mm. that often gets forgotten about i know when i've every now and then i give a talk at a, a music college or a university or something and i speak to to students of music and visual arts students and what i notice is the visual arts students have much more sense of play at times you know they have a they have a kind of canvas of work not necessarily a, a, a brush and a canvas but a, a space in which to work lots of the music students are in a a bedsit showing with three other people can't really make that much music or anything and feel like they have to do this thing with their headphones on and they feel a bit pressured they're not very happy and i think i don't want to sound like a hippie but there has to be a sense of joy in this in a way oh, yeah. you know even if it's, well, something, it's something it's something yeah. you pick up from from listening to music <laughs> if you if you listen to a piece of music which has that playfulness that always comes across but even if um, but I'm not i, 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 yeah. I even think playfulness is an aesthetic it's an important yeah. aesthetic it's not it's not uh, only um a thing of, of methodical a methodical thing or something to get um, a result or something it's actually a desired aesthetic if, mm. if you ask me i mean if you yeah but it was it was quite it was surpri- i surprised myself that i realized how much i'd i'd forgotten about that and it was really nice to i i still have to kind of remind myself you know well it's that thing about studio time it's like uh just enjoying uh playing with the gear and not and not thinking oh i've got to like do some new music now or something like that and how uh how productive that actually is and and i stump i discover uh new sounds and techniques and things that way for sure but i i have to keep kind of consciously reminding myself to to do that so are you are you shaking your head Ben, about about the play thing. Oh no, I I agree. I was just being funny. I mean, um, I I think I'm kind of like you though, Tony. I I've kind of migrated away from the idea of play, and maybe I should go go yeah, back to the it's, playground. It's definitely not not. It's definitely not. It's absolutely not time wasted. I I think mm-hmm. uh, you know it's like it's like remove that that pressure of of being productive and just before you know it you'll you you are productive and if you're recording then you'll end up with way more material there you go yeah just leave it leave <laughs> you will. just leave it recording yeah you'll find something in there and then i mean just part of it stick it up on bandcamp <laughs> part of it for me is that i think i've gotten away from sampling in general from samples hmm. so uh yeah so so like amassing a lot of samples that I'm not sure what I'm going to do with is not the sort of mode I'm in. I'm much more in like, uh, okay, I need this thing. Let me figure out how to make that thing. Now I need this. Let me figure out how to make that more so than like 
just b- browsing through my sample folder or something that I've created, you know. Um, but but I think I've maybe have gone too far down the path of just yeah. not. I mean, I'm not there's, really. There's some amazing stuff in there. I'm not really, um, you know, building a sample library. It's more like uh, kind of having like a. It's like having a live jam that's the 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 mm. length of a whole piece, and mm. uh, and then taking this live uh, live improvisation and then and then I don't know treating it, processing it, adding other things to it, and fleshing it out or or not. Um, it's more like that, really. So you're you're sort of playing with the form in the very end, but you but the whole piece, all the elements are already there. You might go through and sort of mess with the form a little bit uh yeah i mean it it varies but um i don't know it's surprising what it's surprising what comes out of just playing totally um, you guys are inspiring me i'm gonna try to, I'm ask, curious to ask a question play, is, play more <laughs> i'm curious yeah. to ask a question to you which is to all three of you which is how often does a piece in its finished state resemble what you imagined it would be <laughs> to begin with do you really think, you know, because I've, I've had this situation where you think, you know, I've got this really interesting idea. If this element and this element go together and it develops into this, rarely does it ever sound like that, of course, you know. I'm just curious what your experience is of that. For me, it works in a much more abstract and probably emotional way. I think... I I think about like uh, emotionally or psychologically what what I'm trying to uh, recreate or provoke. I think that's the kind of level that it it works on. I, I'm not really imagining something on a sonic mm. level, if that makes sense. Mm, so so I think I can be I can achieve what I set out to do. Um, more closely if I'm thinking on a, on a kind of psychological or emotional level, but I don't, I don't really, yeah, I don't really imagine things in a, in a literal musical way. Mm. So that's kind of how it works. That's how it works for me. And, and mo- a lot of the time, uh, things change radically along the way and I'll discover something and that'll really excite me and I'll go off on a tangent with that. So that can then of course, yeah. that often, often happens as well. Yeah, I I have certain um, kind of distant goals as it comes to aesthetics. They they are like things in my head which don't really exist in in real life, but they are. I, w- I wouldn't say goal, but like a yeah, an aesthetic, like a certain thing, a direction that I. Um, and there are diff- there are different ones. So there's not one, but they mm. they can change all the time as well. But um, there's an array. A range of things that I'd like to end up with, you know, and it's um, um, it's kind of a desire, but it's not really. If it doesn't happen, it's fine too. But I, I kind of always go into a direction to kind of tweak it and fine tune it in in a particular way mm. that appeals to me. And um, and yeah, sometimes I get closer than other times, but it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to be exactly the way you imagined, but. Mm there's definitely a sense of direction and I'm always trying to push it in that direction. So, uh, so yes, there is, there is a blueprint or there is, um, mm. um, um, an idea before I start working, but 
that's far from anything musical or mm. um, you know note related or tempo related. It's it's an aesthetic. It's a, mm. a desired you know th- a thing like an undefined thing, but still uh, for me it's it's a clear thing. But it, I couldn't draw it out or um show it to you <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. it's i don't know it, it's it's it works in a very abstract way sometimes. i mean these things are quite hard to talk about obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean one th- so that's so why i try to come make naturally in sound yeah. and not in words right <laughs> i think that's it i think you know some of these things are just so they come so naturally the same way you can't ask writers or painters or you know most creative people how they make something there is no system generally you know ben what was your what are your thoughts on that um well, when when it's for my own music, I, I'm pretty similar to to the other guys in that um, I think when I when I know it's successful is when it's resonating with me emotionally and it's getting across the feeling that I wanted to get across. And when it's frustrating, it's when whatever I'm exploring is is not doing that for some reason, and I can't quite figure out why. But that but that's a very abstract goal. I mean, my music. Um, formally or compositionally is is pretty abstract i will say that um the most successful collaboration i've ever done on the flip side was actually for um somebody you've worked with robin it was for wayne mcgregor and i worked with a a a class composer named joby talbot and and yeah oh you do know joby oh great uh joby's a, a great friend of mine um so the piece was about um, Charles Darwin's notebooks and was about evolution. It was called Genesis. And Wayne, like, uh, I'm wondering if it was similar with you. You know, all he said was that no piece should be longer than three minutes, and it should be around 45 minutes total. So we, you know, I remember we sat in a park one day and got out a notebook and we said, all right, well, let's give our piece an evolution of its own. So we'll start in this sort of primor- primordial ooze. We'll have static and then we'll have these voices come out of the static and then around three minutes uh the voices will take over and then you'll hear chords of the you know in the voice and then at six minutes uh you'll hear the first strings come in and we mapped this whole thing out you know in a graph and we recorded it and we did it and we looked back and it was i've never done anything like this before but it was it was exactly what we set out to do and i think it was about having really clear directive in the beginning mm. about and having it mapped out formally that, that made it easy to achieve or not easy, but, you know, made it successful, uh, possible to achieve, um, compositionally. Um, so, but, but in my own, my own work, it's much, much more abstract than that. I think. Mm. I think that's what about yourself, Robin? I, well, I was thinking, actually, it's a funny story with work, working again with Wayne McGregor, the choreographer. Uh, I worked with him about 10 or 11 times now. We did a piece in 2007, uh, a musical. It's quite a funny story. I was invited to write a musical for children in France. And, of course, my first thought was, I'm known for my children's musicals. <laughs> <laughs> and I love musicals. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember being in France and the way we worked on it was extraordinary in a giant theatre in Lyon with about 80 dancers in real time. And I had a room in the back of the theatre set up with a small uh, keyboard, oxygen keyboard, was it? Like a MIDI keyboard, uh, which plugged into my laptop and headphones. That was my studio. 
And every now and then, Wayne would run in and say, we need three minutes of pig music. Can you do it? So I'd have to get the microphone on my laptop and go like this, pitch shift it, try and make pig noises, and then write this music. And it was the most extraordinary thing. The funny thing was, it's a similar story to Ben was saying. It was a very defined process. So I was literally responding in real time to writing music. The most perverse thing was at the end of it, there was a premiere in Paris of the work. And it's the only time I've ever really felt like a star. When I was living in London at the time, I took the Eurostar train to Paris for the premiere, went to the premiere, sat in the audience, children jumping on their seats, cheering to this music. The piece finished. I walked on stage, took a bow, went to the after show. Johnny Depp is there with his family when he was married to Vanessa Paradis and all these pop French pop stars and all kinds of people. And then I go outside. I take the Metro to a Gardenor. I take the Eurostar home. And then when I get home, I'm sitting there at 11 o'clock at night thinking, I've just been in Paris. I've just met these really famous people. No one has any idea who I am. What a perverse evening. But it was interesting because it's one of those pieces that was, was written in a similar way to you were saying, which was there were passages I had to do. Most times, like you other guys, it's a very organic process. I mean, really, most times I don't record everything. I essentially play and something will suddenly emerge. And I think, wow, this is a really interesting rhythm, a really interesting pulse. Let me put this down or maybe I can add something else to it. And often I have maybe three takes of something. What I would do with the modular is I can take eight outputs from the system so I can have eight channels and I've got a 24-track mixer so I can run things through there. I have other machines I can run with it. But most times, most of my pieces are quite simple. I'm, I'm a great reductionist. I tend to always take things away. In fact, there's a piece that until lockdown, there was touring called uh, Split, a piece with a, an Australian choreographer. It's remarkable. She asked me for some music. And often what I've done when I collaborate with people is say, this is the kind of thing I've been working on. So I sent some sketches. And I sent this piece that was two and a half minutes long. And it literally goes, doo-dum, doo-dum, doo-dum. And it builds and opens and closes a bit like a flower, just this very simple pulse. And she said, I love it. But can I have it 55 minutes long? <laughs> and it's only two and a half minutes long. So literally, we just had to loop the piece and you know, spend all these hours looping it and making it so it flowed and just put, basically putting it through filters so it opened and closed. I th thought this is going to be such a boring piece. It's an absolutely extraordinary piece. It does mm -hmm. nothing more than this pulse. But mm. you see the piece, it's two dancers, 55 minutes long. You can see a video online called Split. Lucy Gurin is the choreographer, and it's a remarkable piece. It won lots of awards certainly not for the music, but for the piece itself. And it's, it's what's interesting, it's two dancers on stage and about after 10 or 15 minutes, they tape off the middle of the stage. So half the stage they have to dance on and then they tape off that half. So it becomes a quarter. And over the course of the 55 minutes, the performance space gets smaller and smaller till at the end, these two dancers, one naked, one clothed, mm. are wrapped around one another whilst this pulse is still going. Doo -doo, doo -doo. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> remarkable. Mm. And it's, 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 it, it was proof to me that sometimes less can really be more. You know, it didn't need anything else. It didn't need suddenly a piano line to take you off somewhere. And the piece came from me literally playing with the modular, or was it something like Reactor, Native Instruments Reactor? It was one of those things. I made this thing and it turned into something else. It was made purely during play. 
It was made mm. while I was having fun and I made this patch and thought, wow, this sounds quite good. Let me record a bit of it. Never did anything with it, but it just lay there as these things do with Joachim's ridiculous hard drive full of music. <laughs> it sits there, you know, you suddenly realize I've got 600 hours of music or whatever it may be. And suddenly you can draw on this stuff. So again, you know, my process is generally organic. You know, I don't do multi takes of things. I tend to have the pieces. Most times they're recorded live. Most of my records are almost live recordings in a sense, you know, and most times what I'm doing is taking things away and thinking that shouldn't have been there. It doesn't need that. Let's see if it can survive. It's like that game of cards and you have them all, you know, that the house of cards and you pull one out and you see, can it still stand if I take these two out and not, not cards, uh, Jenga, 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 it's, yeah, like Jenga. Yeah. it's like an incredible game of Jenga and you're pulling these out and seeing what remains. And you've got this incredible mm. structure at the incredible, you've got a structure that works. I can't say incredible. And to me, often that's, that's a successful work when it less is definitely saying more. Sorry, I've mm. gone on a long time. It, it, uh, real quick. That reminds me, um, I, I went to uh, music school at, at this place called California's to the arts. And I was lucky enough to be there when Morton Sabotnik was there. Hmm. And so we, he, I, I got to take his class where he would, it would be a handful of music students. And then uh, the Dean of the dance school would pick a handful of dance students. And it was a class where they would put us together and we would write pieces for dance. And he, he would always say, um, you know, similar to working with uh, images or picture or film or anything like that, you know, it, you don't want to tell the whole story because the whole story is, comes together from all of the elements happening. So if the music is so dense or complete that there's no way to enter it, then, then it won't be as successful as if, you know, there's, there's a way for the other elements to combine and to create the final versus offering something that is the final and then they have to figure out how to enter it. That's true for music, which has a um, uh, applied function, like music for dance or film. But I also feel that it can be a very useful way of thinking about it if it's not even if it's just for listening without any uh, without the, the need without the function of accompanying another discipline or whatever. Mm. You know, I mean, if you if you think of music as something that is. Um, uh, standing on its own, there's also the other the the other thing that it's um, living. The other domain it's living in is in the brain of the listener. So it's like if there is more room for interpretation, it can sometimes get the point across better than if there is no way to uh, to get away from it or to mm. to to feel the spaces or to um, to feel the totally. breaths. Yeah, I, I think yeah. there's something uh, that. That reminds me of something how almost uh, music that's really ambiguous almost can ha potentially have more magic to it because people, yeah, it's like fill people, in the gaps. Fill yeah, it, yeah, they yeah. fill it in. And, and um, I mean, I, maybe that another kind of weird tangent, but that, that reminds me about, you know, I remember when I, when I, when I really love some music, but, you know, like pre- pre-internet or something like that where you couldn't it was much harder to find out information about the artist or the band so i i really enjoyed that how you kind of would almost imagine you know crazy wild ideas about these this band and who they were and where they recorded and all this kind of thing and and the reality was much much <laughs> more boring really so 
yeah so you know uh vagueness and ambiguity uh are uh are pretty powerful i think i used to love that actually when i was young i remember i'd read about a band had an album coming out and i'd be a fan of it but obviously there was no way of hearing any of this there weren't yeah. leaks there was no internet and so i remember buying records and looking at the track titles or looking at the lyrics and trying to project how they sounded as I was on the bus <laughs> going home, thinking, I wonder if this is a slow song or a fast song. It was, it was quite a magical moment because you are projecting you know, into these mm. moments. But yeah. it's an interesting point, I think you mentioned about space, and there's always something that interested me. I studied sociology as part of my degree uh, at university, and there's this whole talk of repaired indexicality always fascinates me, which is a great phrase to impress people with at parties. Yeah, say it again, what was that? What, repaired, what does that mean? This is great. Repaired yeah. indexicality. And it means you're, <laughs> re, you're repairing like a, a, a broken sentence. So if I was to say to you, yeah, you know, you've got hold of the, uh, and you go, oh, yeah, I've got it. You know, if you're with two people that know each other really well, there's nothing more painful than like being with a couple that have been together forever. And they have this conversation, and you're with them, and you have no idea what they're talking about because they said, uh, I gave the thing to her. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that too. And did you? Yeah, I picked it up earlier. And you have no idea because they're filling in all the spaces. They're repairing the language. They're repairing the, the, the sentences because to your ear, they're broken because they're missing the key information. Now, when I was a teenager, there was a Peter Gabriel single that came out. I can't remember which one it was, but it had a lot of trouble with airplay. And there was a Queen single because it had a pause in it. So the song would be going da, 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 and then go back into it. And they said it was very dangerous for listeners because the space might make them think there's something wrong with their radio, but also mm. was dangerous for their kind of well-being because their heart would be kind of going da-da-da-da and it would stop. Mm. What's interesting, of course, you know, we're now accustomed to the idea of, the, you know, the kind of drop in dance music and this whole thing, that whole rise and then this incredible pause. And I think it's, it's quite interesting, that idea of kind of repairing information. It's always fascinated me with music Again, how much can you take away and still recognize it? And there used to be this thing on TV, I remember this quiz, where uh, people would, they'd say something like, I'll name that tune in three notes. And do you know this? I can't think what else. Yeah, yeah. Name that quiz. tune. Name, name, name <laughs> that tune. What a wacky name. <laughs> and uh, maybe it didn't reach the US or the Netherlands. But uh, it, was a, it was a funny idea where they'd give you clues. So you had an idea what the piece of music was, and they'd have 10 notes. And you could, if you were really confident, you could say, I'll name that song in one note. And it would go, dum. And you'd say, that's Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. But if you, you weren't really sure, you'd say, I need seven notes. So it would go, dee, 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 dee. And you'd go, yeah, it's definitely Queen. That's Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. And you'd win. And I always liked this idea of how far, you know, information, how much can you take away and be able to get it. And I used to really enjoy that as a teenager, the show, to see, you know, just to test yourself how much, you know, there's this thing that there's, I'm sorry to write, but there's a most amazing record by John Oswald, a Canadian artist called Plexure, P-L-E-X-U-R-E. -E. You can find it online now. And it's an extraordinary record because it plays with recognition of music. So, you know, if you hear a Fleetwood Mac track or a ACDC track, you kind of instantly recognize, if not the song, the band or the period or whatever it may be. What this guy does is fold all this music on top of one another. So just as you start to recognize that piece of music, just as your brain is going, that's Michael Jackson, it's already the Eurythmics, but it's already the Rolling Stones, but it's already the Beach Boys. And these things are all folding inside one another. 
No, it's not easy listening. It's 20 minutes long. It's like a history of 20th century music in 20 minutes. It's an absolutely extraordinary piece, but it plays with this whole, whole idea of your brain trying to repair the knowledge it has, if you understand what I mean. So literally it plays you at like one second, two seconds of Fleetwood Mac and you're thinking, but you have no time to acknowledge it because the Queen track's taken over and suddenly the Rod Stewart track and all my favorite artists on one record. <laughs> but it's an amazing record, John Oswald, really quite extraordinary. <laughs> It never got in the pop charts and it never oh. will, you know. <laughs> yeah. Also at CalArts, they would do uh, graduation concerts. And one percussionist um, did name that tune, but on a, uh, on a djembe, mm. the, African, the African drum where you could pitch it. Fantastic. With their, and, uh, and anybody that won, he would hand a joint to. So the entire place was just smoke and P and he, you know, he would go doo, 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 and somebody would be like, uh, nothing but a G thing, uh, Snoop Dogg. He'd be like, there, there you go. And I'm like, what the fuck? How did they? I mean, it was, it was really incredible. He would play a couple notes on this thing, which was so abstract from actually hearing it and people nailing it. It was, it was, it was impressive and quite fun. <laughs> But then I think you realize what an amazing catalog of music we all have in our heads. I think that's what's really extraordinary is the ability we have to recall sound. You know, the, the same way that you can smell something like yeah. my father, he died when I was a teenager, but we used to go to motorcycle races. He was a, a journalist, motorcycle journalist. And so whenever I smell that particular oil smell, I'm immediately taken back to being 14, 15 years old at a bike race. And sound has that incredible ability to capture memories. But our brains are phenomenal at storing this information. There's things you may have forgotten about and you're suddenly here. This thing you haven't heard in 20 years, but you know all the mm -hmm. words to it as well. It's absolutely remarkable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's um, a book by Oliver Sacks that deals hmm. with all these uh, things. I think it's called Musicology. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, also deals deals with earworms and stuff like that. You know, it's um, it's it's like you said, it's remarkable how how the brain works and mm. how how music finds, um, uh, yeah, sometimes finds its way back into your conscience after twenty, thirty years mm. of having completely forgotten about it. It's crazy. You hear you hear stories about people with Alzheimer's and things who actually, or are locked mm. in their bodies, who as soon as they hear music are able to respond and able to sing along and play the piano. But otherwise, once the music finishes, they kind of slow down again and are locked yeah, in. Yeah, because their memories are attached yeah. to, the, to the music. It's yeah. really amazing. I think that's the thing I really love about music. It's, this, it's an incredible connection point. We have here, I can't read them as you can't read them at the same time, but there's lots of people discussing things. And I think you know, the, the sense of community and the response with music is quite phenomenal. And it's one thing I've really embraced about digital technologies is those connection lines. You know, so many mm. of us, our paths wouldn't have crossed. We wouldn't have the ability to have these kind of conversations and hopefully be of interest to people, inspire them or whatever it may be. To me, that's a real joy, actually, working with something that has real meaning for people that actually, you know, touches them and stores memories and tells them stories. I mean, in my favorite story, I have to say with, with Joachim is that I was DJing when I had a brief DJ period in the 90s in New York. And it's the only time I've ever been asked to stop playing records because I was playing one of your amazing records from then. I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> one of these kind of <laughs> right. crazy tracks. And 
the promoter came across and said it was meant to be a drum and bass night and I didn't really have many drum and bass records. I played things like a very early, the very first Square Pusher 12-inch, which is this phenomenal thing which came out on Ambient Soho, the most amazing record ever. And I played one of your tracks and they asked me to stop because they said, this isn't drum and bass and we can't dance to it. <laughs> and I thought that was fantastic, you know, but I still have that piece of music stored in my head with that story. And the way these two things are connected is just phenomenal, I think. The other thing, it can work... Um um in favor of your imagination you know like if you um i mean for me it's like i i could hear i could have heard a track at some party or in you know walking by a shop or something and it sparked my imagination in some kind of way and it kind of be gets gets its own life inside my head you know um uh, becomes something that i i i store as a memory or i store as a sonic uh, reference point mm. or something and then at some some someday i might kind of i might retrieve it and do something with it in the studio just as a starting point or as an aesthetic that i'm after mm. and mm. it's funny sometimes that happens when you hear that record um years later it so not resembles <laughs> what you what you mm -hmm. would think it resembled you know so it's kind of gets imprinted in your brain starts to sort of morph into this thing that um that you thought it was but never really was this mm. is like like how memories memories themselves change you know if you mm. if you were in a situation and you think okay this guy had a blue coat and uh, a yellow hat or whatever and then um, if you think about it like three weeks later it maybe changes changes uh, mm. again or something and that mm. happens with um impressions of sounds or or pieces of music as well uh, in my mind at least um, you hear something, you get excited about it, it gets implanted and you use it in some way. But when you hear it back, it sounds terrible. You never thought um, it could spark this um, imagination, if you know what I mean. Same same with tracks you hear from, from your childhood. You were thinking uh, some tracks you, you, you remember from your childhood and like this was the fucking hardest track or the biggest drum sound or whatever. And then you hear it back and it's, what? <laughs> Isn't, was that it? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. You know, I'm some, of an age some records when I stand the test of time, but some absolutely don't. You know, well, I was going to say, I'm of, the, I'm of an age when punk was around for the first time, obviously, mm. you know, the main time in the, in the 70s in the UK. And my memory when I was 12 or 13 years old of this was just noise. I remember being terrified by it because it was just noise. And of course, you listen to it today, and they're kind of quite nice rock songs. <laughs> I mean, they're very yeah. melodic. They're very well arranged. They're pretty neatly produced. But I remember being so shocked. I remember seeing photographs of punks thinking, they're so dirty, mum. Look at them. You know, there was nothing, maybe because my mum had fed this idea into my head that they're dirty. I mean, they had a, a badge on their white shirt. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't dream of doing that when you were 12 years old at my school in London. But... It was, it's funny that, you know, whenever I hear this music, I'm always taken back to those times when I was so shocked. But, you know, you're a different age, the sheer volume, like the first concert maybe you went to. The first concert I ever went to was not my choice. My brother wanted to go to it, and it was the American singer Susie Quattro. I'm not mm. sure if you're familiar with her. And I, I'd grown up with music on the radio or at home on the hi-fi system. To be in a concert at the Hammersmith Odeon in London with this woman on stage with a live rock band it was like I was standing inside an aeroplane, you know, mm. underneath an aeroplane taking off. I was terrified. It felt so loud. I mean, if I was to project back to that time now, I could probably stand there thinking, 
what's the problem? You know, this is easy. But it's really interesting, those kind of moments we have in our kind of memories and how, we, how they inform us as well, which is what's really important. We are now who we are because of these very moments. Like, like the, the goalposts keep getting, getting, um, getting shifted yeah. about, you know, well, like Jochen was saying about, you know, like hearing a track and think it's the heaviest thing. I've definitely had moments like that, um, like, uh, I don't know, hearing uh, some electro track and just being blown away by how heavy the drums are in it um, when I was a kid. But, um, yeah, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a drums arms race or something. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I've always loved the idea that when you release music, it, you know, you're no longer in control. It becomes the world's. And, yeah. and it becomes these memories that people attach to it and these it's experiences. It's a second life of the same piece, that they, yeah. So that they have with it. First life and a second life, yeah. I've always loved that. I mean, that's, um, that's sort of what the name Deiru means. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a root of words like duration and tree. And I love that idea of a tree. When people listen, they have their own memories and they plant these roots all over the world. And, and that is what becomes your, your music. And, um, and I have, I have those experiences so deeply of, you know, driving, uh, being on holiday with my parents in, in Spain and having headphones on and listening to these, to this music. I will always associate with looking at the sun go down, you know, on the Spanish coast or, or, um, or anything being in the bathroom at Newark and like, you know, hearing some amazing song in my headphones. I'm like, all right, I'm always going to be in this bathroom when I hear this song. Um, and I, and I absolutely love that. I mean, it actually happened to me recently, uh, where again, that album, 1979, I mean, I created it in this room, this little, little room. <laughs> and I created it at a time when I was very stressed out working really long hours as my very personal way to relax and uh, decompress. And I was in uh, Japan with my wife and we walked into our hotel and there it was playing in the lobby. <laughs> and, um, and it just blew me away that, that how, how removed music becomes from the source of creation once you release it out into the world and how that can be such a beautiful thing. Mm. Well, you don't do what I did. And I was at a, a show once in Italy and I went up to the DJ and I asked him what the record was and it was one of mine. <laughs> and I felt so embarrassed because I was asking what it was and he just held it up and I thought, this is <laughs> it's either shameful or arrogance. <laughs> so I just, I just didn't recognize <laughs> didn't recognize mm -hmm. it but uh, wanker is the term that comes to mind I would say basically yeah I mean really like man what's this cool record this is fantastic it's, like, it's yours oh, yeah, cool. tragic absolutely tragic I, I went up and I asked them I was like how how are you guys picking the music did you know like who's who's picking you know I was wondering if they knew I was coming somehow and played it and, uh, and they're like, you know, in their sort of broken English, they explained um, that they just had some long Spotify list that their management creates. And, you know, and they said, why do you like this? And I was like, well, I wrote this. And they're like, oh, composer, composer. And they, yeah. 
<laughs> I was, it was it was so it was amazing huh. anyway you got a free breakfast or yeah uh, no I just, the restaurant yeah i just get to tell this story it was so cute i mean it was very heartwarming yeah. yeah i like that yeah and you'll you'll always remember that for sure yeah and but what what i really remember is the sort of disconnect between between again the the life of the creation the and and the life that it exists afterwards and there's and the other thing i like is that there's just no way to predict what happens in any capacity and that's really the joy of all it's all the, it's all the ways that it comes back to you in, in unexpected ways and surprises um that is so sort of magical and enchanting i think one of the most not not most but a very enjoyable aspect is I'm not, what it's, not sure what it's called in the Netherlands and the US, but we have the PRS statements. I mean, Tony will be yeah. familiar with this, the performing rights, and yep. they list where your music has been used. And they always are the most absurd places when they've been used. I remember my favourite one was the most evil men in history TV series. And I thought, <laughs> perfect, that's really, really where I want to be, the most evil men in history. <laughs> and uh, it's always quite quirky online. I often like tweeting about it to see what other friends, where their music's appeared this week I was on something like, or in the recent months, something like uh, the hippies that save the world. And I think my music is so far away from that, but maybe there was a very depressing, gloomy moment. So they needed something. They're thinking, what's really depressing and gloomy? It's that mm. scanner guy does music, doesn't he? Let's use that. But I always like those moments where you, f you find where somebody's actually used your music. And you, you, as, as, as Ben was saying, you have no control over where this is going to end up in that sense. Hopefully it won't end up in a, a big political place in the US and being used there. I doubt that's ever going to happen. But, you know, it, it is quite rewarding when you suddenly discover where it's been, what journey it's taken when it's left your your room and you've, you've pressed play to send it down a, down the into the internet place and it appears there and then suddenly it appears somewhere else sometime later. Amazing. Mm -hmm. It's magic. It is. <laughs> I, I, I have more questions but i don't know i don't know when we're supposed to wrap this thing up but I, I, we could keep going we get paid by the hour so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 usually we have um, a two hour in yeah so i don't know it's it's up to you guys how long you want to ramble on <laughs> but um yeah so I mean, I, yeah maybe should it. i have, have one more question and then we'll, sure. we'll wrap it up how do you all think about um I, I know a lot of you have um this better be good uh, ben oh <laughs> <laughs> pressure's on <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know a lot of you have a, a variety of uh, of outputs uh, you know in terms of genre or whatever how do you go about deciding what you're going to do next is it you're just following your interests and um wherever you want to, you know, whatever project you want to work on, you just, you just sort of do that or does it happen naturally? And you just think you'll make something, you don't think, Oh, this is for that. Or, uh, is, is it a process of play or deliberation? And do you, do you worry and think about your audience and, and them following along or is it purely based on their own desires? I, it, it usually works, uh, by the pr uh, process of career suicide where, <laughs> where, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll finally, make a like a dance record that, that that people really like and then um by the time i don't know make the problem is the delay in in this music coming out because by the time 
one project comes out, I'm like five projects down the road or something, you know, and people are like, yeah, that's great. We want another one of those, but I'm somewhere else completely by that point. And I've usually got like a completely beatless project lined up <laughs> you know, to follow up this, this dance floor smash. So, uh, yeah, it's, I'm the it's same. Yeah. Unintentional, but, uh, it, it amuses me as well. The, the absurdity of, of, of how, you know, how, how much you can confuse your audience, like not, not intentionally, but that's just what seems to happen. But, um, I don't know. So yeah, it's really, I, I'm, I'm, it's very random, uh, what you know and i don't i don't really i don't really uh plan things very well and and ha and uh yeah it's it's pretty random i guess is the answer yeah, yeah i'm i'm, I'm, with, I think I'm, with I'm the same i'm i think i'm the same I, um i'm aware of the mechanisms of, of you know how how it works when you know when you do stuff and how audiences can react so i'm aware of it but i rarely think about it I, I to be honest i don't i don't ever think about it when i make a music um that's something that comes after when when you plan what goes where and mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, so it's some something that is never uh putting any pressure on me during the creation process mm -hmm. yeah yeah i used to have a, a romantic idea that i when I, I've been doing this now professionally for about 25 years, and I used to have a notion that when I was more successful, whatever that meant, that I'd have a kind of game plan, that I'd work on two or three projects a year, whatever this thing may be, you know, I'd be doing these collaborations. There's no game plan. There's <laughs> it's a very organic thing. I respond to other people. So someone will write to me or I meet someone and we say, why don't we try and do something? And we do it. Sometimes that thing comes out. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm not, and I don't mean that without any sense of ambition. You know, it's, I was, the last time I ever toured, for example, was 2001. I traveled across America. I played 21 concerts. I reached New York at the end of it. I was so exhausted. I was on my own. I was really depressed. <laughs> And I remember sitting on the steps outside this building and I bumped into a friend from London, which I found remarkable. And he said to me, you know, how are you doing, mate? What's, you know, what's wrong? You look a bit down. I said, well, here's my story. I've just played these concerts. I should be really ecstatic. I feel really unhappy. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just exhausted. He said, well, why are you doing it? And ever since then, I thought, it's such a good question to ask yourself. Why am I doing that? So I've never toured since then. I play concerts. I don't play so many anymore. I maybe do maybe four to six a year. That's it. I used to play so many concerts. I remember saying to myself and friends, today's Berlin, tomorrow's Barcelona, the next day's Paris, which sounds fantastic and thrilling, but you end up so spent and you kind of lose track of your own life. And I realized actually my own well-being was most important. So I'm older than you guys. I don't want to sound like your grandfather or your father, but what I realize is your well-being is really important, mental well-being and, and your health and being happy, whatever that may mean, you know, whatever you do. And so I decided I have no game plan. I do things that bring me joy. I share them with other people sometimes, but a lot of the time, nobody ever gets to hear any of this stuff. 
Yeah, I but you're we, you you're all you're all still here, so yeah, exactly. That must and be I the think, game yeah. plan then, you know. Just, yeah, and I think yeah, yeah. the most important thing to me is that you for me is that I share things with people. I enjoy it. They enjoy it. And there is this sense of community. You know, I thrive on being able to stay in touch with people. You know, mm. I have friends here. I saw just now, you know, my, my friend Greg from New Zealand. Here I am on the other side of the world, but we can stay in touch through this. It's quite difficult to be in New Zealand right now, both economically and geographically. But these technologies bring all of us together. And I don't want to sound like a hippie because my music was in a hippie program, but I think there's something there's something really special about that. Uh, too really much is. denial there, Rob. Yeah, too, too much. <laughs> I just got my hair cut. It was incredible. Uh. But it is. I think it's. I mean, I'm super enthusiastic. I've never grown cynical about this stuff. You know, technology, wow. music, arts, or anything. I haven't, and I've never let myself get knocked down by it. You know, I yeah. try to remain as positive as possible with it. I I, I relate to that about the. Uh, yeah, there's still there's still a great joy in in uh, for me about discovering music that I didn't know about, and uh, you know that great thing where suddenly this huge, you know, a whole new universe opens up when you when you delve into uh, an artist's uh, huge back catalogue that you you hadn't previously known about, and you know that 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 will kind of never never stop uh, being a, a an immense joy for me and and performing as well you know i know the travel and and hours and things really grind you down but i i just i, I love that that electricity that animal energy so mm. much about you know that we're all sadly completely lacking right now and <laughs> oh, um good man. I really miss it yeah you know that's so special and and yeah. you know that connection and to me it works on this animal a, a level of animal ele electricity essentially uh this excitement this very uh, primitive primal energy that that you can you can um you know you, you can really whip up with with uh with, with music um I, I yeah I just don't I can't imagine ever getting tired of that you know there are things about business and the scene and whatever and it comes and goes but but the fundamental parts of it are just you know I'm as excited now and that brings me as much joy as as it as it ever did in the beginning bloody hippie yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're trying no, to get Robin, me back Robin now and, Robin and Tony, my, my hair is longer than yours yeah. come on yeah. But you're essentially saying the same, and and I think yeah, the common absolutely. the common thing is is the connection you're mm. you're seeking, and uh, for some it's um, uh, it's the live connection with a live audience. For other people, it's more focused on the getting the connection mm. in other ways. But uh, I think the connection is is very very important. Uh, it's key. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting because for me, I find the most important thing that drives me is self exploration more so than the community aspect. I thought you were going to say money, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of still wrapped in that 90s. Would you really do this if there was nobody ever listening to your, to the stuff or with the knowledge that it's going to end up in some, you know, dustbin. That would be hard. No, it would, it would be, it would be, it'd be very hard. It is a form of communication, no matter how you see it. Mm. Absolutely. But I think, I mean, um, 
the things that interest me most about music is the process of making it, of exploring and learning and getting better at something. And every day you're a little better and you, you know, you're, you're making progress, but it's the, it's the process. That's, and that's oh, sorry. I, yeah, some, I sometimes get bogged down with the idea of, Oh, now we need to share every part of this process or this feeling that like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not sharing enough. I need to, because that stuff takes a lot of time as well. And it's um, sometimes I do sort of like lament the, the older paradigms you were talking about, Tony, of like just living in the shadows and releasing very yeah. information and having the music speak for itself. I think I'm that's kind up of, to you, kind of up to you how, much, how much you want to you share. Yeah. Maybe it can, be, it, can be not, it can be a novelty to, to, to not share as much. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's super helpful. It's just, uh, it's just a different, it, it's a different part of my brain. I feel like exploring is one part and then communicating what you're exploring is a totally different part. So you kind of yeah. have to figure out. Maybe artists now uh, are being expected to perform all these different roles instead of just creating and performing. They've got to be like a, you know, a, a, a PR person and, you know, a videographer. Art. Yeah, and all yeah, like, those times when we when we could just be faceless techno bastards. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what <laughs> like. faceless techno bastards. Yeah. But but uh, I don't mean to take it in a in a slightly less positive way. I felt like we we got to a pretty positive place Ooh. a second ago. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. Maybe we should maybe we should wrap it there. Um, yeah, it, it is a magical thing we're all doing it, isn't it? Mm. Yes. Well, great. I mean, that was, uh, yeah, well, thanks for hanging out, guys. Really, really enjoyed the, the talk. And I must say, I'm so sorry um, to completely neglect the, the chat box today. Uh, so many people saying, in our, our yeah, so many people. I, I like, the, I like the, the real philosophical, uh, uh, you know, it was very philosophical today. And we didn't talk about gear all that much, really. It was more like processes and things. That was good. Yeah, it's funny. So but people come to this talk to find out uh, what should we use? What is the new synth and what is the new thing to, uh, you know, to use? And then people like us coming on the show say, it doesn't really matter. It's all about <laughs> imagination. <laughs> more hippie stuff. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Robin's anyway, guys, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I have one uh, housekeeping uh, thing to say um, for people who want to continue chatting to uh, to us or to some of us. We have this uh, Discord server set up um, for all the knob twiddlers out there, um, and uh, we'll be we'll be there after um, after we hang up here, so we can <laughs> continue uh, <laughs> discussing some things um, and hopefully see you there. The link should be in the description of the video. So, um, yeah, if you feel like it to, to hang out for a bit more time, then I'll be there. Maybe some of our other guests will be as well. And, um, yeah, thanks to the people who have um, contributed to the chat room, although we haven't <laughs> responded to them very well today. Um, but we still so, love um, you all. Yeah. We mm -hmm. love everybody. <laughs> we love it's, you. Uh, yeah. It's, a, it's an honor to be here with everybody. Thank you. Good fun again. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, uh, Robin. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Um, hopefully, see you soon, sometime, maybe uh, in a different episode. Or good luck, anyway, with what you're doing in the real world, even. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully still whatever that again. is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Ciao, ciao. Bye, bye. Bye.